We're continuing our journey through uh, uh, the letter of James in the New Testament, and we have come to chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at the first three, uh, or the first 12 verses of chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them. We'll, we'll put the words of the Scripture up here on the screen as well. Um, I'm going to encourage us to go ahead and stay in our seats a little bit longer of a passage. Let's prepare to hear the Word of God, James 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect person, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word, and may God add his blessing to our conversation together this morning. You know, there's a, a, a point that we've made several times during our course going through James, that there's this amazing connection between James and Jesus, that, that James is, uh, his writing of this letter is um, one of the first letters written in the New Testament, and that he wrote sometime in the mid-40s of that first century, that James is the brother of Jesus. And so often we find that James is continuing things that we read Jesus taught, that, that there's a direct connection between what Jesus said and what James then encourages and teaches. Such is the case with our passage this morning. In fact, there's this story of, of Jesus when he, he called the people together. It comes to us from Matthew 15. And, and here's, here's what he uh, uh, actually said. In, in Matthew 15, verse 10, it begins... He called the people together and he said, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. This caused no small amount of consternation among the people who heard him that day. What do you mean, Jesus? 
in the faith, in the religious practices we have, the food laws are so important. And, and what are you trying to get at, Jesus? In fact, even his disciples struggled to understand what he was saying. So later in verse 16, Jesus provides the explanation. He said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Our words matter. What comes out of a person, what, what is shown forth in this world, it matters because it flows from the heart. It reveals who we are on the inside. And so James is going to pick up on this and, and, and provide a, a teaching uh, that's related to that. In fact, what James does in our text is he provides warnings. We could take all of his warnings and we can divide them into four different groups, but, but they're, they're serious warnings. I brought with me some of, uh, and we've, I know I've used this example before, but I've, um, I brought with me some of the user manuals that I have in a file at home. So I've got a, a there's a, one for a, a room heater. There's a user manual for that. There's one for a jigsaw, a lawnmower. I pulled a couple out just to point out what the warning part looks like. You know that part that we tend to skip over before we get to the part where we, this is how you use it? Just skip the warnings. Oh yeah, we all know those, sure. So I pulled out the one for my uh, dryer. This is the quick start guide. So it even, it, it shortens up the warnings even more. It says this, do not dry anything that has ever had type, any type of oil on it. Doing so can result in death, explosion, or fire. All I want to do is dry my clothes. That's all I want to do. I found this one for my uh, TV. This goes along with our TV. And I, there's this long two-page list of warnings that come along with it. I found this one particularly interested, I, 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 interesting. If this, appar, if this apparatus does not operate normally, in particular, if there are any unusual sounds or smells coming from it, Unplug it immediately and contact an authorized dealer. It sounds like it would be a warning that would apply to my brother just as easily. Any unusual smells or sounds coming from within. So what James does is he provides this warning. This whole series of warnings. A long list of warnings about speaking. About words. Now, the way he gets into his warnings is he provides a soft introduction. He first has something to say about teaching. He goes, listen, um, uh, not many should become teachers. Because we know that teachers are going to be judged more, strict, more strictly. That there's, there's something about words coming out of a teacher that have the, uh, the possibility of impacting more people. And there's a responsibility in using those words when we speak on behalf of God and, and connect people to what God has revealed in Scripture. In the first century, there was this sense that teachers would be an honored position and they were respected. And, and so there would be this tendency, a desire to experience that honor and respect. And James going, wait a minute, not many should do this. And he goes on to explain, he goes, listen, we all stumble in many ways. And this word stumble has the connotation with it that this is sin. We all go against God's best in many ways. 
And then he makes a statement. And here's where he turns his conversation. He goes, you know what? If, if someone is able not to stumble, not to sin in what they say, that person's a perfect person, able to control their whole body, a, 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 able to be in charge of it all, to, to steer the whole life aright. How important are the words? How tough are the words? How tough is it to have this, everything that comes out of us, honor God? And so with that introduction, he provides these warnings, four categories of warnings regarding the tongue. The tongue. The tongue. Why the tongue? So in my, pre my uh, preparation for this morning, I came across a word in the commentaries. A number of the commentaries used it. And maybe it's a word you're familiar with. I wasn't, so I had to look it up. It's the word metonym. You've heard the word synonym before, an antonym. A synonym is words that have a together meaning, a similar meaning. An antonym are words that have an opposite meaning. A metonym uh, uh, has this idea of a substitution, a word that's a substitution for something else. Meta means change or beyond, and, and so name, a, a beyond name, a name beyond what all the other names are. We're going to give them this name. Maybe one of the most familiar metonyms or examples of a metonym, comes in that line that the pen is mightier than the sword. So the pen, it's not as though a, a big pen is mightier than some kind of sword. It, it's that the pen stands for something. It, it stands for ideas and words and thoughts. And that those ideas and words and thoughts express that overall, in the end, those will prove to be mightier than the sword. Not just any sword, but all the violence of the world. All the war machines of the nations. The pen is mightier than the sword. Metonyms. So when James talks about the tongue, he doesn't have something just particularly against that particular muscle. He's using the tongue as a way of talking about all that we communicate. All of our words, if we happen to be part of the deaf community, it'll, it's including all the, uh, um, uh, the movement of our hands and arms and our, the expressions of our face. If we happen to communicate through texting or emailing or tweeting or, or Facebook posts or whatever it might be, all of this is included in the tongue. So however we tend to communicate, we ought to listen up because he has warnings about the tongue, a metonym a word we substitute for all of the other ways we communicate. So here's the first warning. It comes to us from verses 3 through the beginning of verse 5. The dynamism, the dynamism of the tongue. And he gives a couple of examples. He gives the example of a bit in a horse's mouth. Now he doesn't mention whether this is a comfort snaffle D-ring bit or if it's a mullen mouth egg butt snaffle. By the way, shout out to my horse friends out there. He just says if you take a small bit and you put it in a horse's mouth, that the rider has the ability to turn this larger beast. And then he gives the example of a rudder on a ship. That a relatively small piece of material has the ability to turn the much larger ship even against strong winds. The tongue is small, but powerful. 
We may feel like our words, our voice is small, but James is saying you need to be aware of this. It's powerful. Now, we know the world-changing power of words. The world-changing power of words. I, I went back and captured some just so we could share in them again this morning. These, this first set of words, uh, Sojourner Truth was speaking at a women's conference in 1851 in Akron, Ohio, a women's rights convention. And there's actually two different versions of this speech, and this is the one that's often quoted, it's the one that's often recorded, though there may be an earlier one that's a bit more accurate. But from this one, we find these words in the midst of her very short speech that Sojourner Truth said, then that little man in black there, he says, women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. Where did your Christ come from? Where did your Christ come from? From God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with him. If the first woman God ever made was strong enough to turn the world upside down all alone, these women together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. And now they is asking to do it. The men better let them. The power of words. The power of words to bring people together, to make changes in society. Or how about the words from Nelson Mandela? In 1964, these were the, the final words in his statement uh, as his, before his sentence would be read. And he made this statement, I have cherished the ideal of democratic and free society in which all persons live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. It is an ideal which I hope to live for and to achieve. But if needs be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared to die. They arrested Mandela in 1963, and he wouldn't be released until 1990. But he stood against apartheid, and his words mattered. And even though he was in prisons, that those ideas mattered, and they had power. And when he was released in 1990, along with de Klerk, that they went on to rewrite the Constitution and bring apartheid to an end. Or one more example, just the power of words. Ronald Reagan in 1987 at the Brandenburg Gate in Germany. Standing before, before the Brandenburg Gate, every man is a German, separated from his fellow men. Every man is a Berliner, forced to look upon a scar. As long as this gate is closed, as long as this scar of wall is permitted to stand, it is not the German question alone that remains open, but the question of freedom for all mankind. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The power of words, the power of ideas to change the world. Now, those are part of history and they appear on the internet, but we know personally the power of words to change worlds. How about those expressions? I'm home. That can change the world that exists inside the walls of your house. 
Or how about the, the, the words, time for bed? That can change the world of a little one in that moment. Or how about those words spoken with authenticity and, and sacrifice and, and a willingness to serve? I love you. The, dy- the dynamism of the tongue. Well, the second warning he gives us is the danger of the tongue. The danger of the tongue. And this comes to us in verses, uh, the last half of verse 5, all of 6, and then the last half of verse 8. And he gives a little bit of an intro. He says, hey, listen, you know, a forest fire is started by a little spark. We know that too well. We know of the fires on the west coast and what is blown up out there. We, we've heard of the El Dorado fire in the San Bernardino National Forest that, that's about 70 miles east of L.A., where there was a gender reveal party, and, and they had a pyrotechnic machine, and, and because of a spark that came out of that, that ignited a fire that has now consumed 26,000 acres and tragically took the life of a firefighter. A small spark can blow up. So what James then does is he provides seven dangers of the tongue. He says the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body. It sets afire the entire course of life and is set on fire by hell. Let's pause there for just a second. It's an interesting thing. We have already made this connection between James and Jesus. The word for hell here is Gehenna. And it is in reference to a valley at the south end of, Jer- of Jerusalem, just outside the gates. It's the place where Ahaz and um, Manasseh and Jehoiakim had offered child sac- sacrifices as part of a, 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 a substitute God for the real God. And, and so this place became known as just a place of evil. Do you know that in the New Testament, the word Gehenna uh, occurs 12 times? 11 of those times, Jesus is the one who uses the word. And James is the only other person who uses the word. Again, there's that connection. And he's saying that the tongue is set afire by hell. Then at the end of 8, he says, It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, we might want to say, James, please, let it out. Don't hold back. We we want to hear what you're thinking. Don't, Don't be reserved. Go ahead and tell us how bad it is. And he does just that. But see, we already know. We already know the danger of words. In fact, we so know the danger of words that we intentionally use them for our nefarious purposes. In fact, there are times when we take a word and we choose it because of its ability to cut through and hurt someone that we're speaking to. And at the same time, we don't know. We already know it's dangerous, but at the same time, we don't know. Sometimes we think that, that you know, I'm just going to say something benign. Something that, that has no damaging intent to it. And yet, because of the corruptness of hearts, the corruptness of the context, the danger happens. The, 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 the poison spreads. 
even if it's not what we intended, so broken is the communication process. And I'm not sure which is worse. I'm not sure which has the more negative impact. The ones where we uh, intentionally and nefariously use our communication to harm others or just our blind spots. You know, we say that thing of, well, they should know. I shouldn't have to explain myself. The reality is the danger is so prevalent that we do. The third warning is this then. And this comes to us in verses 7 through the beginning of verse 8. This is the dismay of the tongue. The dynamism of the tongue, the danger of the tongue. This is the dismay of the tongue. Watch what happens here in the verse. So in verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird... uh, uh, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, and here James is so Jewish, he's so Hebrew, he's pulling us back into the first chapter of Genesis. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. And so by dismay, we might also use the words discouragement, the discouragement of the tongue, the disheartenment of the tongue, the despair of the tongue. If this is true, if that no one can tame the tongue, should we just give in? This past week I looked this up. Uh, Do you know that there are some 5,579 titles in the Netflix library? 5,579 titles in the Netflix library. By the way, and this next two points has nothing to do with the sermon, but I just found it interesting. So do you know that also, uh, this is a three-year-old statistic. Um, So back in 2017, before the pandemic, in a given week, the world was spending one billion hours on Netflix. One billion hours per week watching Netflix. And that it was taking up 19% of the world's bandwidth. Incredible. So 5,579 titles. So let's say somebody said, you know what? I'm going to binge all of those uh, titles. I'm going to binge watch them all. And, and they get to like title number 312. And they go, oh, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to make it. Should I just give up? Yes. Just give up. That's stupid with two O's. Just give up. But in what James is saying, if we can't ever tame the tongue, should we just give up? No. No. That's not his point. He doesn't say throw in the towel. He wants us to be aware of how hard this is. He wants us to be aware of the constant presence of the challenge of the tongue, the challenge of communication. He's calling for constant vigilance, constant awareness, constant attention, knowing that the the opportunity to sin, to stumble is always present. The dismay of the tongue, the dynamism of the tongue, the danger of the tongue, the dismay of the tongue, and finally the duplicity of the tongue. And this comes to us from verses 9 through 12. We read in verse 9, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. You see those two things being put together. 
Again, there's something hearkening back to Genesis 1, but there's also something connecting to the two greatest commands. You remember what Jesus said, that the two greatest commands are to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor um, as ourselves. And that all of the laws is, is summed up in these two things, to love God and to love our neighbor. And, and James is pointing out, listen, with our, our mouth, we bless God and we curse our neighbor. And how can that be so? Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And he gives the analogies. A spring cannot produce both fresh and bitter waters. A fig tree cannot produce olives. A grapevine cannot produce figs. Salt pond cannot produce fresh water. Listen, your heart. You may have been saved from the penalty of sin, but the stumbling still occurs. The world is still broken. You're broken. The other person is broken. There's a, a context that's corrupt. And in that context, our ability to be duplicitous continues. A corrupt heart in a corrupt context produces corrupt communication. So Jesus... He had that statement. It's not what goes into a person that defiles them. But it's what comes out of them that defiles them. This is what James wants to warn us about. This is his warning. Listen, communication is powerful. Ideas are powerful. Thoughts, feelings are powerful. There's a dynamism and yet there's a danger. There's a danger as they go out that our communication is so full of our own stumbling. And it's not going to change until Jesus comes back and makes all things new. And don't pretend we're not duplicitous. It's what comes out of a person that defiles them. So what do we do in terms of moving this into action? Well, here's what James does. He, he does this thing. He's going to teach on it in passages to come. And so he's going to get more concrete in how, what this means for our day in and day lives. But there's some hints that occur in our text. At the second half of verse 10, brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. This duplicitous way of interacting and communicating, this ought not to be so. Be aware of it. Then even if we went back to the very beginning where he uses the analogy of the bit in a horse's mouth or the rudder on a boat, both of those communicate that there's a rider and there's a pilot. With the bit part, he uses we, so we're the rider. The rider has the ability to change, to steer the horse. The, The pilot, from his or her own will, can direct the ship. This ought not to be so. And we're in a position to do something about it. And so like any warning in any manual, be smart. Be smart. Take responsibility. Heed the warnings. When there is a choice... When there is a choice, and there is always a choice, when there is a choice to heal or to hurt, 
choose to heal. When there's a choice to be patient or to punish, choose to be patient. When there's a choice between faith or fear, choose faith. When there's a choice between love or laziness, choose love. When there's a choice between reconciliation or retaliation, choose reconciliation. When there's a choice to bless or to belittle, choose to bless. When there's a choice to glorify God or to gossip, glorify God. When there's a choice to clarify or to confuse, choose to clarify. When there's a choice to minister or to manipulate, minister. When there's a choice between humility or hubris, choose humility. In other words, in all our words, steer our hearts aright. We've been warned. Beware our words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we um, thank you that you provided, provide in Scripture a, a, a telling, a, a telling of, of how things are. We thank you for the gift of this warning. We pray for each other that we could heed it, that after all these centuries, all these, all these centuries of being human, we still haven't figured out the communication piece of it, the, the interaction in ways that are building instead of tearing down, the ways that are honoring instead of self-serving. So God, work in our hearts and our minds. Help us to be aware of our words this week, whether we're talking to mom or to dad or to daughter or to son or to friend or to co-worker or to stranger or to the, the person on the other side of the aisle or the other side of the city. Help us beware our words. And may we steer our hearts toward you. In Christ's name, amen.